Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including our guests uh, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, and Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is September the 7th, and on this day in 1813, the United States got a nickname, Uncle Sam. Now, how'd that happen? Well, the name is linked to Samuel Wilson, a meat packer from Troy, New York, who supplied barrels of beef to the United States Army during the War of uh, 1812. Wilson stamped the barrels with U.S. for United States, but soldiers began referring to the Greb as Uncle Sam's. The uh, local newspaper picked up on the story, and Uncle Sam eventually gained widespread acceptance as a nickname for and personification of the United States federal government. In the late 60s and 70s, and that's the 1870s, political cartoonist Thomas Nast uh, began popularizing the image of Uncle Sam. Nast continued to evolve the image, eventually giving Sam the white beard and st stars and stripes suit uh, that associated with the character today. The German-born Nast was also credited with creating the modern image of Santa Claus, as well as uh, coming up with a donkey as a symbol for the Democrat Party and elephant as a symbol for Republicans. Nast also famously lampooned the corruption of New York City's Tammany Hall in his editorial cartoons and was in part responsible for the downfall of Tammany leader William Tweed, or Boss Tweed, along with former New York uh, City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, who ran his platform on ending Tammany Hall and his corruption practices. Uh, perhaps the most famous image of Uncle Sam was created by artist James Montgomery Flagg. In Flagg's version, Uncle Sam wore a top hat with blue jacket and uh, pointing straight to head at the uh, viewer. During uh, World War I, the portrait of Sam was the words, I want you for the U.S. Army, was used as a recruiting poster. That image along, uh, became immensely popular, was first used as a cover of Leslie's Weekly in July 1916 with the title, What Are You Doing for Preparedness? The poster was widely distributed and has subsequently been reused numerous times with different captions. In September 1961, the U.S. Congress re recognized Samuel Wilson as the progenitor of America's national symbol of Uncle Sam. Wilson died at the age of 87 in 1854, was buried next to his wife Betsy Mann in Oakland, Oakwood Cemetery in Troy, New York, the town that calls itself the home of Uncle Sam. That's so interesting. Now the uh, portrait would be, uh, you will comply. <laughs> Uncle Sam pointing at us. We will comply. Lots of different uses for the uh, image of Uncle Sam. So interesting story. According to higher education rankings from U.S. News and World Report, Florida is ranked in first place for the category, taking into account various factors. Criteria included uh, two-year college graduation rate, four-year college graduation rate, low debt at graduation, educational attainment, and tuition and fees. Florida is the number one for is number one for students to pursue higher education, and we can keep the cost of our public universities and colleges low, so students can afford their education without incurring crippling debt. Said uh, the governor. Uh, U.S. News says higher education composes half of the weighting in the overall rank of education. They report that Florida is the home to three universities that rank in the top 100 in the country, and uh, Washington came in second, followed by California, Wyoming, and Colorado. Education has become a hot-button topic in the gubernatorial campaign in Florida, with Charlie Chris running with Carla Hernandez-Matz claiming the governor defunded... <laughs> <laughs> public education. This lady's kind of a wild woman. I don't know if she. I don't know if she comes up with their stuff. But anyhow, I hope uh, Charlie Chris could rate her in. Uh, WPLG's Glenda Milberg quickly corrected Hernandez Matz. Carla, I can just uh, do a little fast fat check here. Uh, defunding is not actually factual, and the governor did not uh, did afford teachers a pay raise and bonuses this year. Just laying it on the record, she said. 
Well, in June of 2022, Florida's Voice uh, reported that the Department of Education's budget provided $29 billion for pre-K to uh, college graduates uh, education. Uh, the budget brought the average starting teacher pay in Florida to more than $48,000 for the first time in Florida's history, believe it or not. Pretty amazing story. Number one in Florida. Well, Democratic candidate for uh, Governor Charlie Crist praised President Joe Biden's speech when he called Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans an extreme group that threatens the very foundation of our republic. And many of you saw Joe Biden's speech last night on TV, Chris asked at the campaign event in Coral Gables on Friday. God love him. God love him. And I do. I don't know if he's equating himself with God, but probably not. Anyhow, he told it straight. Democracy is at stake, Chris said. Our freedoms are at stake, and the president laid it out, and he didn't hold back. And I'm so damn proud of him for it. He has to have the kind of courage and just tell it like it is. I thought one of the most disgusting speeches an American president has ever given, DeSantis said on Fox News. He ran as as a unifier, and he's basically saying to the vast majority of a country who disapproves of him that they're effectively a threat to the republic. For days since the speech, President Biden has attempted to backtrack and clarify in a tweet uh, Tuesday, Biden said, not every congressional Republican is a MAGA, MAGA Republican. Guy is totally lost. And it was an offensive speech and disgusting speech. DeSantis is right about that. But how about Chris? Is he scary or what? Well, let's uh, vote for DeSantis. And if you can, uh, vote against uh, Chris. Now, this guy's a scary. I mean, can you imagine a reversing track on what we have here in Florida would be uh, terrible. In address to the nation on Thursday night, Joe Biden said, As I stand here tonight, equality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. There's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans, and that's a threat to this country, said Biden. Just reminding you, Biden's Twitter account followed with a post saying that Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very soul of the country. Trump said in a statement in response to Biden's speech, someone should explain to Joe Biden slowly but passionately that MAGA means, as powerfully as mere words can get, make America great again. If he doesn't want to make America great again, which uh, through those words, action and thought, he doesn't, then he should certainly not be representing the United States of America, said uh, uh, Trump. Uh, Trump White House aide Stephen Miller uh, delivered a scathing rebuttal to what he saw as a declaration of war by Biden on at least half of the American public. President Biden, uh, Trump, that is, President Trump poured out his heart, his soul, his spirit every day to build a better America for everyone, to build a safer, more prosperous America, Miller said, while Democrats and deep state launched an illegal operation to take him out and is now in its sixth year. Miller added that Biden on Thursday gave the speech of a dictator in the style of a dictator, in the visual of a dictator, using the words of a dictator. This was his enemies on the state speech. And like every other radical Marxist tyrant, he accused his opponents of being fascist while he engages in oppressive authoritarian behavior. Miller's so right about that. He's the one who's forcing Americans against their will to take a vaccine. He's the one who uh, has violated our nation's constitution to open our borders. Uh, he's the one who's uh, interfering in sacred relationship between parent and child to try to force dangerous medicine, puberty blockers, hormones on our little kids. Trump added, if you look at the words and meaning of the awkward and angry Joe Biden speech tonight, he threatened America, including with the possible use of military force. He must be insane or suffering from late-stage dementia, said Trump. Biden's handlers on Friday sent old Joe out to walk back what he'd said on Thursday. People who uh, voted for Donald Trump and supported him now, they weren't voting to attack the Capitol. They weren't voting for overruling the election. They were going to for philosophy. But he put forward, uh, Biden said, insisting his speech was directed at those who attacked democracy. I don't think anyone who calls for the use of violence, fails to condemn violence with it when it's used, refuses to acknowledge an election has been won, insists upon changing the way in which the rules and we count votes, that it's a threat to democracy. Democracy and everything we stand for, everything we stand for, rests on the platform of democracy, said Biden. By the way, old Joe, uh, we're a republic, not a democracy. 
his uh, Jean-Pierre uh, person, his spokesperson, uh, <laughs> apparently he, she was confronted with the fact that, hey, you know, um, <clears throat> you said that uh, Trump stole the election of 2016. She says, well, that, well, that was different. <laughs> Just incredible. Well, by the way, at a national level, this is a unique policy priority that almost every politician on both sides will avoid discussing. At a national level, a single policy priority determines all national policies issues. That policy is the national economic policy. Uh, the na nas uh, national economic policy of a presidential candidate determines all other national policies that flow from the presidential candidate. The national economic policy impacts the obvious policies like energy and trade and also determines the lesser obvious policies like regulation and even forward policy. It's specifically because a candidate's national economic outlook impacts all the other issues that most national politicians never talk about it. For example, it would be impossible to support Main Street USA, a popular talking point, and still support the Climate Climate Treaty, the Paris Climate Treaty, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. To avoid these contradictions, most Democrat and Republican politicians avoid discussing their national economic policy. It is an unspoken rule within the billionaire club and donor game, an economic code of omerta amid most polit political candidates. President Trump broke the rule and even went so far as to campaign on America First economic policy agenda. That core outlook formed Make America Great Foundation, Make America Great, AMAGA, is based on a national economic policy outlook that determines every other national policy as carried out by President Donald Trump. And while most Americans may, uh, may not be able to articulate how the national economic policy impacts them, almost every American feels the consequences through gasoline prices, energy prices, employment, wage rates, and expenses within their daily lives. To try and hide this economic reality, often media and economic analysts will say that the U.S. president has no control over gas prices. However, this is unequivocally false. Yet, it's true that oil prices are determined by global markets and product and supply and demand. However, the energy policy of the president determines the domestic investment in natural resource development and extraction by oil companies. The regulatory policy determines the expansion or lack therein of oil and gasoline refinery capacity. So yes, it is ultimately the U.S. president who determines gasoline prices indirectly through energy and regulation policy. See, this is uh, the difference between Donald Trump and this is why the deep state and uh, uh, rhinos and Democrats hate him because he's articulated a policy putting America first. And from that, all other policy comes. While other politicians, if you think about it, nobody else says what, what their economic policy is. Why? They want to avoid the topic because it gives them more freedom to uh, be the political elite of which they are. Unfortunately, uh, we need to get Make America Great Again back as number one. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples. Uh, be in the know and uh, stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Yes. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob's an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., And our description is not too far different than what you just described. That is private property, free markets, individual liberty, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G. Thank you, Bob. So uh, we've been talking about in the last uh, few sessions and interviews about uh, the Supreme Court session, last Supreme Court session. Uh, We uh, cut off with abortion law and policy. So, uh, of course, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, what about Congress? Can it pass a law that essentially codifies Roe v. Wade? Well, uh, the president has acknowledged that the executive branch cannot unilaterally subvert the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court. And so he sort of passed the buck to Congress, and Biden has claimed that Congress is empowered to codify a national right to abortion. Of course, that would require 60 votes in the Senate or getting rid of the filibuster. And put bluntly, that ain't going to happen. But I think it's important to note that it wouldn't uh, work even if there were no filibuster. And that's because it would be unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congress is not authorized to prescribe a national abortion regimen. There are two possible sources of authority. The Tenth Amendment mandates uh, that all powers not enumerated and delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states. So Congress has an expansive power to regulate interstate commerce, but the courts have held that the Commerce Clause covers only those activities that are economic in nature and have a substantial effect on interstate markets. Hmm. Abortion is not an economic act, nor do intrastate abortions have significant interstate effects. So I would say at most, Congress could regulate abortions involving women or doctors who travel across state lines Mm -hmm. in order to get the procedure. So interesting. So how about the uh, 14th Amendment? Doesn't it authorize Congress to intervene? Yes, that's the second uh, of the two sources. Congress can stop a state 
from violating constitutionally guaranteed rights. But the Dobbs decision declared unequivocally that there is no constitutional right to abortion. Mm-hmm. And Congress's authority under the 14th Amendment is to correct violations or to prevent violations. It is not to create new rights. It's not definitional. In other words, if the court denies that there's a constitutional right to abortion, Congress can't conjure one up mm-hmm. and compel the states to enforce the right. So if there's no 14th Amendment right, which is what Dobbs asserted, then that means there's no state remedy for non-enforcement of that right. So interesting. Now, don't I recall the House already passed a national abortion bill to codify Roe? Yeah. So the Constitution didn't much matter to the House of Representatives. The Democrats' abortion bill, this is the Women's Health Protected Act, goes a lot further than Roe did. Uh, it, it puts health providers at risk, even if they reject abortions for religious reasons. It conflicts with uh, prior Supreme Court decisions that have upheld state laws uh, barring gender pref- preference abortions and post-viability abortions. So essentially, the act would legalize nearly all abortions and contradict the rules that were established under Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So even if the Fourteenth Amendment authorized congressional action, which it does not, but even if it did, the Supreme Court has held that federal remedies have to be congruent and proportional to the state violations. And clearly, this act passed by the House goes far beyond Hmm. proportional. It even goes beyond Roe v. Wade. Interesting. So uh, basically, it's stay in your lane, federal government. So, so does this mean that the federal government is powerless under the circumstances? Not quite. Uh, federal intervention might be uh, constitutionally justified if, uh, for example, a, a state's uh, abortion regulations barred cross-border shipment of drugs, which could clearly be interstate commerce, mm-hmm. or if the state punished uh, victims that is, the mother, victims of rape or incest, or if the state discriminated against members of a protected class or banned operations that might save a mother's life. So I, I think additionally the federal government could might be able to protect the privacy of reproductive health data and preempt some of these state laws that restrict use of the use U.S. males. So, you know, some... Legal authorities have even suggested other uh, possible federal actions like, for example, invalidate uh, the burdensome licensure rules uh, that are directed at abortion providers or even lease federal property uh, to to providers or override the the Hyde Amendment that says uh, the federal funds can't be used for abortions. Um, So those those are much tougher cases. Mm -hmm. And in any event, they, they should be targeted. So targeted federal responses to Dobbs might be able to be addressed ad hoc if and when uh, the underlying state regulations uh, infringed on rights. But to the contrary, Congress may not proceed without any constitutional authorization to establish this generalized national right uh, to abortion. That's so interesting. So can local uh, governments refuse to enforce state abortion restrictions? Well, we've had district attorneys in some metropolitan areas like Atlanta, New Orleans, Dallas, San Antonio. that said that they're not going to prosecute abortion providers or others, including people who assist a woman in obtaining an abortion. So can they do that? Well, a lot depends on the discretion that the state legislature has given to these municipal authorities. Typical, uh, typically, local prosecutors enjoy... Uh, some latitude not to enforce outdated laws, like, for example, there are lots of laws on the books against adultery or, or minor offenses, even such as, you know, recreational marijuana use, which is some states don't even enforce those laws. So local authorities ordinarily, they, they prioritize their enforcement in light of scarce resources. 
But the wholesale disregard of recently enacted restrictions on a controversial procedure like abortion, that's a whole different matter. And that, that's one reason why state legislatures often allow the state attorneys general to override these local prosecutorial uh, decisions. And on a practical level, even if the localities won't enforce abortion restrictions, the state can step in and do so. And abortion providers might still have trouble under state law getting things like insurance or state licenses uh, to practice. See, that's so fascinating. Of course, this is happening in an environment where uh, district attorneys uh, refuse to enforce laws for, for example, for uh, all kinds of crimes right now. So it's it's incredible what's going on. We'll have to pick this up in the next uh, conversation, Bob. Again, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more and buy tickets. Get tickets at uh, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz, a terrific read, but probably off-topic for today's discussion. discussion. Andy, thank you so much for joining As us. I here. always tell you, my book is off-topic for everything. <laughs> it's a great book, though, a great read, Josephus of Oz. So, Andy, we usually start our discussions on Wednesday with some good news. Do you have any good news for us? I think there is some good news. It's not dramatic, but I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, I probably uh, mentioned first the uh, that Judge Eileen Cannon has created a master review or the allowance for a master review of the documents from Mar-a-Lago. I mean, there's some some controversy about that, uh, but I think that is a uh, is a good thing. Of course, we we have to define what a neutral master would be in America. It's it's almost impossible to find someone who's neutral, and that that is a problem. But I think in general that is a good piece of news. Of course, Bill Barr, who is uh, turned into something that uh, I don't think any of us uh, would have recognized uh, three years ago, uh, has said that the, that was a flawed decision by Eileen Cannon. I don't know why he, he even interjected himself into that conversation, but Barr seems to feel he's got to build friendships on the left. 
And he also doubted that, uh, that Trump actually could declassify or declassify the documents at Mar-a-Lago. Once again, I don't know who asked Bill Barr this, but he, he seems to go out of his way wherever he can uh, to damage uh, President Trump. So, uh, but that, in general, that, uh, that the master review of the documents is a, is a good piece of news. Uh, also, if we look a little bit worldwide and talk about, you know, where, where the world is trending uh, in terms of where, whether we're talking left or right and what those words uh, connote, uh, in Chile, the Chileans just defeated a plebiscite uh, that, in fact, if it had been uh, approved, would have essentially turned, uh, turned Chile Marxist. Uh, Chile is, is noted for being one of the most uh, conservative countries, certainly in South America. Uh, this plebiscite would have undone that and turned it into a, uh, a Marxist haven. Uh, but again, it was defeated, and I think that's, that's a good sign. Uh, also, in England, they, uh, the, the uh, new prime minister, Liz Truss, uh, who has been de- described as being a new uh, Margaret Thatcher, um, she certainly would be classified as a conservative. Politically, she's identified that way, obviously. Uh, but I think her politics is that. So I think we can look at Chile, we can look at, uh, at England, and, and see that uh, if, if these are indicative of, of the way the world is moving, and I'm not sure they are, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think they're both pieces of good news. Trust in England and, of course, the, the Chile plebiscite. Um, one other piece of uh, good news that I, I think is worth, worth alluding to, we're hearing constantly, Bob, that the uh, the lead is slipping for the GOP going into the 2022 midterms. Uh, there's story after story in the uh, in the Washington Post and the New York Times and almost every leftist publication that the lead is slipping and uh, it's precarious now and that the uh, the right is certainly not going to take the Senate back and even the the taking of the House is in jeopardy. That, to, to a large extent, that's just nonsense talk, Bob, uh, to try to influence uh, Republican voters to not come out because it's it's a lost cause. If we look at the reality of this, if we look at, for example, Patty Murray, who's been a six-term senator in, in Washington state, one of the, the bluest states in the United States, uh, she is only ahead, 49 to 46. Now, any lead is, is meaningful, but again, if you're talking about a state like Washington yeah. and a long-term sitting senator like Murray is struggling to hold that seat, I think that is a very strong sign for the, for the GOP. Also, in New York state, uh, Hochul is only leading for the governor's race, is only leading Lee Zeldin now by four points. Once again, a bright blue state. Uh, and again, uh, uh, the, the candidate for the, for the left is, in fact, struggling uh, to, to uh, maintain a lead and a victory. So I think those are, those are I think, important points uh, as we consider what is really going on in America as compared to what the media would like us to believe is going uh, on in America. If we add to that that Biden's polls are, uh, are still tanking, that his uh, ab- abominable uh, uh, anti-MAGA Republican presentation uh, uh, is not having any resonance with the voter, no, uh, there doesn't seem to be any impact uh, based on based on his absurdity. And that, that, again, I think has to be seen as, as good news, Bob. Yeah, that is all good news. And, I, you know, of course, I think the polling that you see and the, the, the narrative about uh, the, the red tide has become a red ripple, uh, quite frankly, I, puddle, I, I think they described it. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think uh, I think that's just uh, how the press decides to uh, operate uh, suppression polls to try and keep the uh, right uh, vote out. It's not going to work, needless to say. And uh, you know, this the speech that the uh, president gave, uh, Biden gave in uh, Wilkes-Barre was just absolutely abominable, calling half of America, probably more than half of America, uh, extremists. And uh, people who are trying to overthrow the government and so forth. And then he's, he's walking it back. None of this stuff is sticking. I mean, it's all Teflon. <laughs> he's, he's, and he continues to bury himself. What old saying is, you know, if you find yourself in a hole, quit digging. And he's digging. Well, there's no doubt about that. He's involved with the psychological transference. Uh, as many people have, have noted, uh, whatever the, the left accuses the right of doing, you know darn well that the left is doing it. Uh, and this is certainly uh, an, an example. 
uh, if I was to give a more sinister interpretation of why the media is, is, is pushing this narrative that the lead is slipping, this is very sinister, very conspiratorial. Let me just, let me just allude to it. Uh, if, in fact, they, the left believes there's a fix in for the election, I'm presuming that's a hypothetical. I, I don't know that, but let's presume that that is, that is what is going on. And the only way they could get away with it is if they document in some way, even if, if fallaciously, that the, the lead, the polling lead has slipped down to a, uh, a margin within statistical norms. Uh, so again, if they want to fix this election, uh, the Republicans can't go in with 15 or 20 point leads and have the election go the other way. That would be so obvious. So they've got to close the gap before the election so that if the fix is in, it makes it a more uh, reasonable outcome as far as the perception, Bob. Well, That's very sinister. And back way. to your point about the, they they do what they confuse, what they uh, accuse the right of doing, and uh, you know they talk about. So uh, you know, with a, the if these elections don't go right, there's going to be a civil war and so forth. I mean, all the violence has occurred on the left. Uh, the right people on the right are basically, you know, if you get been to a Trump rally, everybody's happy, everybody's excited about the prospects of making America great again. Yeah, there was just a, uh, a little story I just picked up uh, last night, I guess, this morning, perhaps, <clears throat> where someone intentionally went to the Wilkes-Barre Trump rally and introduced himself to multiple people there um, with the as a liberal, with the presumption that there would be hostility, uh, aggressiveness towards him. He said he never met a friendlier group of people than this group that he talked to after having identified himself as a liberal. So I think, and he, he expressed uh, surprise, obviously, that this was the response he got because, as he indicated, he had bought into the, the narrative of the media uh, that these are aggressive, angry people who are, uh, who are potentially violent. And uh, I think in his specific case, obviously, uh, that, that was disproved. Uh, before we go into some larger issues, let me just give some negative shout-outs to a few things that I that tend to always aggravate me, at least certainly within the last year or two. Well, Andy, uh, let, if I may, I, this would be the absolute appropriate time to take a commercial break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And I hope you check out the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Andy, I, I cut you off there at the end of our last segment about uh, things that uh, need to be mentioned. Well, I've recovered from that insult, Bob, but uh, so, so <laughs> we, we, we'll get into it. Um, there are many products introduced into the American marketplace that are just not needed, like, for example, a, a new dishwashing detergent to add to the list of 600 dishwashing detergents. But these two that I'm going to mention are have uh, will have if if fully implemented, dramatic impact, already having impact on our economy. The first is the the very existence of electric vehicles. Now, they're fun to drive. I I know that. But again, when you talk about a full conversion in California by 2035 to uh, all electric vehicles, absolutely not needed. Newsom and, and people in California, political people in California, talk about climate as if it's a local issue. They believe if they somehow can microscopically reduce the amount of carbon output, and it is debatable whether electric vehicles even do that, uh, somehow that will change the climate uh, for California. Very unneeded, uh, and again, many unneeded products, but the electric vehicles are one that will change this country completely. And unfortunately, uh, California tends to be a bellwether uh, for the rest of the country, Bob. So uh, it's a worrisome prospect when we look at what's going on in California uh, and in Massachusetts, by the way. So yeah. uh, this is a, a worrisome trend. Yeah, just a, a comment. Uh, this, is, I think, is a good example of uh, he doesn't care about climate change. This is all about winning elections and popularity. And this is typical of politicians when they promote something and get it passed or get it get it implemented. There's no follow up. What they care about is how it, how it impacts the public right now and, and gaining votes. Well, it's, it's dubious to me to believe that the the middle class is going to be responsive to electric vehicle demands put on them, uh, where the the average cost of one of these is sixty thousand dollars. Even the very very low end model is forty thousand, whereas the low end internal combustion engine car is twenty thousand. Right. Uh, and the 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 low end internal combustion car is every bit as purposeful as is the electric vehicle for twice the price. Absolutely. I, I don't see middle. Uh, middle-income people being positively responsive to that. Maybe I'm wrong, but well, the the, 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 the other part of this, position. the other part of this is that the, it, is that his audience now? I don't think it is. I think the the left, the Democrat Party, is appealing to the political elite, to the rich, to the you know they're trying to garner favor with the people that uh, are you know basically the uh, the uh, oligarchs of the United States. I, I think you're absolutely correct, and I'm just alluding to the whether, the impact on the uh, the the, uh, uh, the voting process, and yeah. I, I think it will not stand them in good stead with middle middle America. But I think you're right about who they are trying to uh, affect uh, in terms of donations, in terms of uh, ideology. That elite group uh, that includes Republicans in some cases, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that's that's exactly what they're doing. This is a horrific prospect. If we add to that the very existence of renewable energies. Now, they, these are not even ever debated uh, in terms of their, 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 their value. I think the only resistance is can we have enough of them uh, in, in a relatively short space of time to satisfy America's energy needs. They're just not, they're not necessary. I would suggest that in the next 20 years that unknown scientific uh, discoveries will make uh, wind power, solar power, geothermal power, absolutely obsolete. Right. And we'll be stuck with these incredible boondoggles uh, that, have, that have cost us trillions of dollars to implement, and I think they won't even be viable. Renewable energy right now serves no purpose. Uh, fossil fuel use, uh, particularly natural gas, certainly has satisfied every meaningful energy need of this country, including, if people are concerned with it, very low carbon output. So all of this nonsense, very destructive to the economy, uh, and, Bob, perhaps that's the reason. We know the Democrats want to produce dependency uh, within the American people, and there's no way to create greater dependency than making them go broke, Bob. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I suspect something like cold fusion, nuclear power, some, there will be some sort of a breakthrough in energy that will make all of this kind of 
<laughs> obsolete for there's, sure. There's no doubt about it. I mean, when we were using whale oil back in the 17th century as the major source of of, of, of fuel for lighting, at least, uh, essentially no one knew anything about electricity, and certainly that wiped out the entire uh, need for whales for that for that purpose. So there's going to be something that we don't even know about. Uh, that's going to happen. You can't contrive these kind of scientific breakthroughs. They occur naturally and over time uh, with degrees of, of improvement, uh, but they don't happen the way these people are doing it. This is primitive technology, wind power, the, uh, the windmills of Holland, you know, and, um, and falling water power. These are all Falling water powder is okay. There's no problem with that. doesn't require a large investment. Uh, but on the other hand, do we need all of this happening? Not not in the slightest, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've, uh, you had mentioned off air 9-11 and uh, some of the thoughts about uh, what happened on 9-11. In fact, the observation was today's uh, weather looks like uh, the day on 9-11. I mean, yeah, I'm just staring out my window and it's, it's very much like that day. Before I get into that, I just want to allude to one thing I had also mentioned to you off air, a Harvard psychiatrist uh, named Lance Dodes. Lance Dodes has uh, said that uh, Trump is a uh, psychopathological paranoid. I mean, just uh, amazing commentary coming from a uh, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, uh, to define uh, uh, someone like that without any first-hand contact, and obviously just just absurd. I don't think there's been a, a calmer man in the presidency than has been than has been Donald Trump. You look at the uh, the abuse he's taken over six years now, yeah. uh, and somehow he comes out smiling. He comes out uh, positive and, and motivated and optimistic. This is not a man that has any psychological problems. I think what uh, Dodes exemplifies is an old saying that uh, in an insane world and two insane people, a totally sane person must appear to be insane. Insane, And right. I think that's exactly what we're seeing with a lot of the commentary uh, about the great ex-president Donald Trump. I mean, I think there's such a parallel to Ayn Rand's uh, writing and uh, what she wrote about uh, and how society functionally. So you can see uh, Donald Trump is actually the star of this thing before everybody he's vilified and hated by the... Uh, by the power elite and by the uh, bureaucrats. Yeah, Don Donald Trump is our John Galt. Exactly right. So, uh, Andy, again, this is this is a good time to take a little break. Can you stick around? Yes, sir. All I right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. He's an author. Uh, his book is Josefa Savaz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So uh, we cut off our conversation a bit of talking about 9-11 and uh, some reflections on that day. Any thoughts? Well, first of all, I don't want 9-11 to disappear from our memories, especially with the younger generation. I think it's an important, obviously, an important event, a tragic event. Um, at the time of 9-11, I was teaching a class in Manhattan. I wasn't there at that moment, <clears throat> but I did teach a class for the entire semester post, uh, post the, the 9-11 event. All my students had, had lost at least one person in the, in the towers. I had lost uh, a friend in the towers that I'm aware of. Um, and so this was a real personal moment for me in many ways. My, my son was part of the recovery team in the, in the barge in the, uh, in the Hudson with, with Giuliani. Uh, so it's, it's an event that uh, seems like yesterday. I know people say things like that. In, in this case, you know, every emotion from that moment is still part of my, my awareness, Bob. Mm. I, I'd just like to mention a few things about that. I had gone to a uh, general meeting held at my college uh, about three weeks after 9-11, and there's a lot of talk now about how unified America was uh, post, post-9-11. Certainly on 9-11 itself, maybe we'll go to 9-12, there was a, a unity within the grief. It was so overwhelming, mm-hmm. uh, 343 firemen dying, amazing. I, I even to say the number now is, is a startling thing to say. Uh, but there was a unity in grief, but not a unity in terms of, of purpose or values. Uh, I went to that meeting three weeks after, after 9-11, uh, and without hyperbole, Bob, I can honestly say I was the only one there that absolutely defended America in the sense that America didn't deserve this, that America had not provoked it, that America was not the cause, and Israel was not the cause. Everyone else at that meeting uh, espoused the position that, in fact, America uh, had earned that from the, the radical jihadists. Of course, this group would not have used the phrase radical jihadist. That was even impossible to say in 2001. Uh, We look now at at 2021. Uh, Those phrases are still verboten. I think that George Bush, he did a good job post-9-11 immediately, but he also softened up our awareness of the uh, the implications of uh, of Islamic jihad, and I think we're we're still there. Uh, So I think this this feeling that we were unified, I, I don't believe it was true. At least that's not my personal experience. And certainly we're seeing that same absolute lack of disunity now, plus the, the element of America being blamed for everything, every negative thing uh, that has ever occurred, Bob. Yeah, what's with this, uh, people who are, uh, hate America, you know, we, we had it coming kind of a point of view. That's just uh, absolutely absurd. By the way, I'm gonna, on uh, Friday, I'm excited about having Dr. Zudi Jasser on the show. He wrote a book called the, the the Fight for the Soul of Islam, and uh, he's he's a great American and uh, gives great straightforward commentary on what's happening well, with regard I, to. Let me ask you, how is how is Rudy doing with all this? Is it is it working? Well, that's what I'm going to find out. I haven't had him on the show. I, I know you were very friendly with him, and um, I thought maybe you had that awareness, but not quite yet. But I'm listening on on Friday because it's going to be an interesting interview. He'll be reviewing what he sees happening with regard to opening borders and with the the third jihad very, and everything. Very Right, uh, gentle, decent, intelligent man. So, uh, yeah, he's he's worth listening to. Absolutely. I, I don't necessarily agree that to be a moderate Islam, but, but you know that's that's another point of view. But uh, I think he personally is that. So I, I give him a lot of credit. These are courageous stands that he's taken, Bob. Absolutely. Well, I I think uh, my my point of view is there's certainly I think 25 percent of the of uh, uh, Muslims uh, actually uh, support in some way or at least passively accept. Uh, jihad against uh, the uh, against uh, the left, or yeah, against... that would be about four hundred million people. Bob, uh, understand? Understood. But yeah. I think there's also uh, people read the the scripture and end up uh, deciding that the, this is all about peace and uh, harmony. So, 
Well, you know, we, we tend to believe if there isn't some dramatic terrorist event that uh, Islam has gone uh, quiet and silent and uh, they become somehow peaceful after 1,400 years, they become suddenly peaceful, uh, that we don't seem to understand the, uh, the culture uh, of, of the Islamic world. Time is not an important factor. Uh, in other words, if right. they waited 10 years or 20 years uh, to, to launch another terrorist attack, uh, that would not be a problem for them. So uh, time is not, is not a barrier to their, to their planning, their strategic planning, their tactical planning. Uh, I'm not predicting anything, but uh, I've always said that the, the only reason that, uh, that terrorism is invoked is not for its own purpose. Terrorism is not the purpose. What is is to soften the West's response to Islam, regardless of the immediate response to terrorism. Uh, after that immediate response, the world softens up and becomes uh, more terrified of Islamic potential and begins to make more allowances for them. Absolutely. We lost uh, so many lives in New York uh, on that day, 9-11. But you think about the impact of the events that have happened since then. It's, it's really changed the tra trajectory of the world in terms of... no, before I get off this topic, I know we're getting uh, close on time, but um, I had made a presentation at Pfizer headquarters in New York City. Um, I'm guessing about uh, six months after 9-11. Uh, I was making the presentation to the governmental groups that were in New York City that were involved with environmental protection. Uh, the question they asked me to, uh, to talk about the problem they asked me to talk about was how did they influence the political process in New York City to be more responsive to the science that these agencies were providing. That was my topic, and I, I believe I gave them a heck of a lot more than they bargained for. Uh, with my research at that point, I found out that almost every one of these agencies had come up with an entirely different perspective mm -hmm. on the air quality surrounding uh, Ground Zero and New York City in general. And the point I made to them is, if you're going to have influence, you at least have to have some, uh, some cohesion yeah. to the scientific finding. You can't be presenting the politicians nine or ten different viewpoints and expect them to act on, on, on that. It's just, it's not going to happen. That was, that was my point. Yeah, so interesting. So, Andy, in, in the little bit of time we have left, I mean, the left right now is saying there's going to be civil war. They seem to provoke, seem to be trying to provoke the the whole idea that uh, somehow, some way, if the, uh, in, in the near future we're going to have some sort of a civil war. What are your thoughts? Let me make just a, a quick comment because we don't have the time for a, more, a greater development. But uh, the general view is that the uh, the left wants a civil war. They're trying to provoke a civil war, and that they have the. Uh, the, the standing army and the federal bureaucracy, which is enormous, larger than the Marines, and they have the army on their side and so forth. Uh, I believe this is not true. I believe what, what we're seeing is the left knows that the positions they're taking legitimately could generate a civil war, a violent response uh, from the, the political opposition. I'm not saying the right would respond to that. I'm just saying the left understands that their, their egregious positions mm -hmm. uh, could provoke that. And I think they also understand that they would lose that. Uh, you heard Biden say at least five times in various presentations uh, that the, the American people and their right to bear arms, uh, let's see how their AR-15s hold up against F-15s. Man's ignorant of the way uh, these insurgent warfares are, are fought. In fact, they're ground wars. They're not air wars. And so when we look at the Army, 70% of the Army still identifies basically as conservative. Now, the leadership certainly is not. But the army is not woke in, in, in totality. So I think the position I'm taking is the left wants to uh, scare the right into being resistive to even the potential of a civil war mm -hmm. uh, because uh, they, would get, they would get defeated. I do not believe that particular aspect is true. While I'm not advocating civil war, many, many uh, authors, uh, these are not radical authors, are suggesting that it is, it is inevitable. When you have a totally disunified uh, people, uh, at some point, either that has to change or one part or the other has to dominate. They generally feel that with the devious illegality of the left, that in that model, 
the left would win. And so you're, you're left with a situation uh, where the uh, to save America, this is not my position, this is what many are saying, to save America, the Civil War may become not only inevitable, but necessary, Bob. Yeah, so I see, I see what, right now what's going on with the left. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. It's all, uh, they, they're, they're, they're trying to uh, do some saber rallying. They're trying to do a lot of things, but quite frankly, the majority of people don't want all this. They want to be happy. They want to have a successful, they want to make America great again. And uh, that make, will make people happy. So uh, I see this as a lot of saber rattling that's going to result in lost elections, and we're going to move on. It, it might be, but I can also make a point uh, without documenting it, certainly, uh, that if the left sees themselves as losing within any model, that the Civil War may be what they try to provoke just to try to uh, avoid that, that, uh, that, that destination. Uh, again, not predicting, but I think we're in a, a world, an American world at least, that is so complicated in terms of its implications. It is extremely worrisome because, you know, as I talk to you off air, these, these changes, these, these qualitative changes occur in a flash. Like 9-11, sitting there on a Tuesday morning on that day, world was beautiful. It was a gorgeous autumn day. And within 5, 10, 15 minutes, everything had changed. We could be facing that same potential at this exact moment, Bob. That's so interesting. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Us. Andy, I really appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Talk soon, Bob. All right, thank you. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.